Welcome to another episode of Built on Passion. I'm Drew, and today we're talking to Shira Gorin, founder of Zygo. Zygo makes bone conductive headphones that work underwater and also allow streaming content from your phone, like music or a podcast. Bluetooth doesn't work underwater, so this is a bigger deal than you think. Today, we talk about the challenges of developing a brand new tech product. Hey, Shira, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Zygo. Zygo is the first streaming option for swimming. So like if you want to run or car, you're streaming all day long and nothing existed in the streaming space. Everything was MP3 players. So Zygo is the only option to stream audio, whether it's podcast, audiobook, anything from your phone. And then we also have an app of subscription content. It's not mandatory, but it is similar to Peloton in the way that there's class content guiding you through workouts. We have a music license, so it makes swimming, which is usually solitary and silent, brings it into the modern day fitness era. And also you, you know, have someone come coaching you along the side. That sounds pretty cool. I'm going to want to get into a lot of the details on that, I think, as we get in here. But tell us a little bit about your background and how you guys got started. Sure. I think the biggest thing is I was not a swimmer. So I played soccer in college and basically did every other sport but swimming. I never did swimming for fitness primarily because it was boring and monotonous. And then you get to be an adult. And if you didn't grow up swimming for fitness, at least for me, and I think a lot of our customer base too, you don't know what to do. You show up to a pool, like there's people in lanes. Can you get in the lane? What's the etiquette? And then it's like, I'm winded after one lap. Is that a good workout? How many laps? Like swimming for an hour seems daunting. My co-founder and I, the genesis of this was really for ourselves. We wanted to get into swimming. We were hyper consumers of boutique fitness. So like SoulCycle, Barry's Bootcamp, Pilates, boxing. And when we wanted to do a triathlon, swimming was like, let's take a swimming class. And we realized there was two options. It was either aqua aerobics for my grandma or a master's type swim that was like an hour and a half practice at 5am, which wasn't fun. Like we were doing all these classes that were fun. And so our first business was called Swim Team. And it was that 45 second class that injected the charisma. We found actors that had swim backgrounds and really formulated this class that took the the structure from those other boutique fitness classes and put it into the pool. But the biggest takeaway from that was that we had hacked a headset using a splitter and It was very DIY, but the customer could put the headset on and hear the coach and music as they swam. And very quickly, people wanted to buy the headsets. Like they liked the classes, but they really wanted to buy the headsets for their own lap time. And it's kind of the rise of of Peloton. And we never set out to be hardware entrepreneurs, like a lawyer by trade, like have no business being in the tech space. But the problem kind of came to us that like we were both foolish and naive enough to be like, well, this doesn't exist, but we know that there's a market for it. And so we set on the path to create the hardware, knowing that that was the piece that we needed to unlock for this much bigger potential in the swim market. Okay, so you guys had a class type product previously before the hardware existed. And so you're working on that. Is that when you decided to kind of work on the Indiegogo campaign? Or when did that come in? That came in. So we learned a lot along the way in terms of building a product. We thought we would be able to build and sell within a year, three and a half years later. And so the Indiegogo campaign, we had toyed around with not looking at it as as really fundraising because you're selling at such a discount that it really isn't like fundraising. But we saw it as a very finite opportunity to have initial early adopters be able to test the product. So when once we got started closer to manufacturing time and doing some of the pilot runs, we knew that 
we would have to do a pilot run of a thousand units. And so we thought Indiegogo would be a great opportunity for us to do a really set 30 day campaign, hoping to get a thousand customers so that we immediately, once that pilot bill was done, we had we had, you know, users that could use and test it so that from that thousand we could learn. And so we started thinking about Indiegogo. We pivoted to the hardware end of 2017 and started thinking about Indiegogo probably summer, fall of 2018, and then ran the campaign end of Q1 2019. That was an interesting experience in and of itself, just because crowdfunding campaigns are its own marketing tool. And there's a lot of different ways you can go about it. We didn't want to spend a ton of money on the pre-sales campaign. We wanted also like we learned this after, but it's really like an exercise in management because you're not shipping right away. So of course, people who've already paid, are you have to update them. You have to kind of manage expectations. And so we were glad that we had a smaller pool of people and didn't kind of overextend ourselves for what we could make thereafter. Yeah, I was looking in your, your Indiegogo. It seemed like you had a lot of it figured out before even launching that campaign. It looked like you had some prototypes and whatnot too. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. We, how, how did that development process go? Of the product? Yeah. Longer than expected, more expensive than expected. I think the biggest takeaway that I learned as a first-time hardware entrepreneur is that you can build a product from the outside in, or you can build it from the inside out. And what I mean by that is we took it to an ID firm that created this really pretty prototype of like what it could look like and very naively thought, oh, okay, great. We can just like, just make it like, and we can just make it work. And then you take it to an electrical engineer and a mechanical engineer. And they're like, that's not possible. That's not possible. That's not possible. And because we were dealing with audio, a wearable, having to get FCC approval because it's radio frequency and waterproofing. Like, I don't know that we could have picked a harder product to make. But with that said, we started with the aesthetic. And then we were like, we found experts that help make it work. But looking back, we also could have started with an electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, and been like, okay, let's decide what the how to make it work just on a functionality level, not worrying about what it looks like. And then from there, refine it in terms of what we want it to look like within the scope. And so that process took a lot longer just because at every step we learned like, oh, we have to take it to this person. Oh, we haven't figured out mechanical. And then once we had that set, doing factory scouts in China was a whole other experience of looking for partners to help make a product that's never been made before, understanding kind of what questions to ask, the differences in factories. And so that took about a year, four trips to China to scout the right factory. The development in total was about four years before shipping. Definitely a lot of learnings along the way. Yeah, I think that probably a lot of people are are wondering why it was such a hard problem. But I, I noticed a couple of things about your product. One, I saw you, it's two pieces. So you've got the bone conductive headphones and then a I'm assuming the streaming piece that probably has to do something special to go through water because everything is designed to go through the air. What does that look like? If Bluetooth as a technology penetrated water, we would have AirPods that you could swim with and other like Plantronics or whatever, whatever you run with, you could swim with. And that's the reason that only MP3s existed for the water because you had to pre-download it. We use a low, a low band frequency, radio frequency, and that's exactly right. So your phone can Bluetooth connect to the transmitter piece and then the transmitter, the like magic that that does is it converts that Bluetooth into a radio frequency with a long enough wavelength to be able to penetrate water because to your point, physics does not want any audio waves to penetrate 
water. So we optimize the device to be able to hear through water. And and every inch is like a feat of physics because it's not going to work at like 10, 20 feet depth, but you're swimming at the surface and then maybe do a flip turn. Radio frequency is a very kind of ancient technology. People aren't really using it, but for this novel purpose, it was the only option to be able to penetrate water, which is why we need FCC approval. Also, I mean, adding that piece, it sounds maybe clunky, but it also adds some pretty interesting use cases. I saw that you you have a walkie-talkie system in there as well, which is probably a huge game changer for swim teams and coaching in general. Yeah, that's a great note. Because we needed that middleman, which again, from like a consumer perspective, I was nervous, like, oh man, like another piece making someone set up another thing, like there's so much friction. But because we needed it, building in that dual utility function of having a one-way walkie-talkie, We have a lot of coaches who honestly could care less that it streams anything and just likes it for the ability to communicate with their athletes in real time. I grew up swimming and on swim teams. I can think of lots of people who would love to be able to yell at their athletes uh, while they're in the pool, right? even more quietly yelling at them. So are you guys selling, now you've got the product developed, you're shipping now. Are you selling D2C? Are you in stores or how are you guys selling? Yeah, we're all we're all D2C on our on our website. All of so we started shipping in September 2020 and I mean obviously in the thick of COVID and from there through 2021 we were sold out of inventory. Like we just could not keep up. Both like we couldn't keep up with demand, we were also building in small batches strategically so we could learn and then on top of it freight was at an all-time high. Everything was delayed so it was like battling all of the things. Since January of this year, we actually have inventory and we also just launched a larger size. So we had one size fits most and we have a larger size and it's all on our website, keeping it really simple. Our margins can't sustain also sending it from elsewhere. And we're still very close to our customers and kind of like having it just be one funnel that we can manage. We're still nascent in our journey and want to make sure that every customer still feels like they have like a very clear touch point to us and to the brand. In a world that we can't control everything, customer service to us is like a very important factor for loyalty and just to, to build up our the community of, of swimmers. Since you guys were doing such, or I'm saying such, but since you guys were doing small batches of production runs, were you able to make in, like small improvements along the way based on customer feedback? Yeah, we, the first run, like the Indiegogo campaign ended up being proving itself really valuable because there was a tool change that we made that while it was painful because it took us, we thought it was going to take us a month and it took four months over our first summer, which we thought was like dead in the water. But the tooling change really helped the product because we were noticing that the antenna was breaking on one side. So people were getting odd, potentially audio cutting out. And since then we haven't had that as an issue at all. So like that pain was worth it for now what we're able to do. But yeah, I mean, as you can imagine, I'm jealous of some software companies because being able to change something in hardware takes so long to like redirect the ship, even like a little bit. You know, you have to like submit it, tooling change, then testing, then maybe there's some further changes and then more testing and you're already like half a year out to make one small change. So we're constantly tweaking and we're also constantly like making notes of if we were going to do this a different way or if we were going to do this over again, what are other things that we would include? Potentially kind of in the background, even thinking about how we can disrupt ourselves or get better with a different product, not being complacent with just kind of the first product that we put out there. So what would you say has been the hardest part of starting a hardware tech business? I think for me personally, which 
could also shed light just into kind of like who I am as a human, but starting a hardware tech product and not being an engineer or the manufacturer for someone who wants to be in control, but also wants to be helpful. Sometimes I just feel helpless because I'm not the one doing the work. You know, I'm, I'm resourceful. I can find the answers. I, I know the right people. But when you can't personally push it forward because you're not in the factory or because you don't have an electrical engineering background, I think for my for my own self, that has been a tough process. And then, like I said, the, the waiting game and the timeline is really difficult, especially when you're starting out because you want to market, but people expect things right away. And you want to make changes that continually improve and it just things just take time and there's nothing you can do about that aspect. So I think that's been really challenging. Has COVID thrown any major wrenches in the the ring here? You know, the only way that that we were really affected was on freight costs. Because we were sold out and we needed product right away, we had to bite the bullet and pay for air freight. And it was like 20, 30 times what it should have been for us. So for a small company. I mean, that we had spent a lot more money on freight in terms of market demand. It was actually interesting because pools started doing reservations only. You could not get lap times at so many places, which just showed the passion population of like people who swim, really swim. And swimming also was one of those exercises that like was kind of COVID proof. And so we saw like actually a higher demand for people who want to swim. And then now... Because our product, you can take your own pool, a public pool, you can take it on vacation as people are getting out and doing more things. The versatility of the usability of our product is actually working in our favor a lot. What advice would you give someone who wanted to start a tech product business today? I I think the biggest thing is just starting. I think that first action step of like putting something in motion. I think there's so many people who talk about things that it might not work out your first time, but you learn so much even by having one conversation. And I think that's the other thing is that people hold their ideas or or what their aspirations for a company or business so close to their chest as if like someone's going to take their idea. And it's like, someone wants your success. Nobody wants to do the hard work of getting there. Like no one's going to take your idea because it is so hard to actually build the company or the product or the service. And when you talk to more people, one connection leads to another person and you you just don't know what your network can provide you if you're not having those conversations. So I think like that first action step and just talking to people about it has been invaluable for me. It's funny you mentioned that. I mean, most businesses that sell a physical product have like some extent of the experience with how long it takes. I mean, like even if you want to sell like a basic product, it's going to take six weeks to get samples and then you don't like your samples. So it takes six weeks to get more samples and then okay, now I have my samples and then now you're three months until you get the full shipment to where your warehouse is. And it's like, even if it's something simple, it, you're still like six months out before you can even start selling the thing. So it's definitely a very slow game. Yeah, no, it's definitely it's definitely challenging, but also it's so worth it to put something out there that you believe in and that you're passionate about. It's just, there's nothing like it to be able to like, especially if you build a product that like you yourself will use, it's quite an experience to go through of like building something from nothing. Again, just even like the journey of how much you learn along the way is amazing. So where do you guys see the business growing in the next five years? Yeah. So like we talked about improving the product, coming out with some improvements to what we're currently doing. The app, we're just starting to push more and we really believe in having the app be a sticky part of the swim ecosystem. There's workouts right now, but we're building out metric tracking, which 
metric track everything all day long, but especially for swimming, the ways of kind of engaging the community so that you can gamify it. You could have leaderboards, you could have like family building up to like a distance that they all swim and, and add to and making it that fun, not intimidating sport that for a lot of people it is. And then, you know, our big aspirations are have all this connected fitness where you can cycle, you can bike, you can box, but really making swim a part of that conversation. Because to us, like the trifecta of a triathlon, like swimming is so far behind all of those other sports. And we really see it as being like a big player in the connected fitness world. And especially just as a sport in general, swimming is so good for you. Like I'm not making that up, right? Like there's tons of science and research on swim, but we just want to make it fun and accessible and not intimidating, solitary sport that it's that it's been relegated to for, for some people and or just enhancing other people's lap time swim, whether it's a motivational podcast or one of our workouts, really just trying to enhance the experience all around. Yeah, I think swimmers are going to thank you for a long time because of this. Oh. <laughs> Before we wrap up, I want to give you a chance to kind of plug the company one more time and tell everyone how to find you. Sure. So our website is www.shop.com zygo.com and zygo spelled z-y-g-o and our instagram is zygogram at zygogram so love to hear from people whether it's a dm or through our, our website we're super responsive and so yeah come check us out thanks shira it was great talking to you today thank you appreciate it Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Built on Passion podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you are still listening right now, you need to leave a review. Like seriously, if you are committed enough to listen to the outro, then you must be a fan and we would love to hear your thoughts. Be sure to share this episode with a friend who's thinking about starting a passion project business. And as always, tune in next week for another episode.